the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. Fantastic. We have an absolutely spectacular show for you guys today. Uh, we are going to be doing a... Um, a uh, para-networking section about all of our favourite Dresden Files fan theories. I always have to care for that one. My F's and my THs are very close. Fan <laughs> theories. There we go. Fan uh, And then we're going to be... Exactly. Uh... <laughs> and then we're going to be moving on to our Dresden Files book club, where we will be concluding Grave Peril. Dun, dun, dun. Three books down, Rob. How many Ooh. more left? 14? Oh, right. Sorry? How many do we have left? I think I think 14 at current, but no doubt. By the end of it, according to Jim's current plans, we'll have about another 17 to 20 books to cover. Nice. Oh, so we have... Plenty ahead of us, I think. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, our big question at this week in Para Networking Corner uh, is uh, what is your favourite Dresden Files fan theory? The crazier, the better. Um, and yeah, Rob, do you want to dive in here? Yeah, I I found an interesting one a few months ago, um, and every now and then I think about it, thinking like that's actually hilarious. But um, it it was like, uh, the original Merlin is Harry Dresden, but he went back in time and then forgot who he was. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's a big one. <laughs> it, it it's just. It's the stupidest one I've seen, but it's just so delightfully absurd. Yeah. That. Uh... I. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I definitely can see a link between the first Merlin and. Dresden, like I wouldn't be surprised if it turned out that he was like of that family line. Yeah, that's what I'd be expecting. Um, yeah, because I, I, there's also a whole, there is definitely a connection between Mab and Merlin. Yeah. So I wonder about Mab taking such an interest in Harry. Is there something? Is, is she like following the bloodline or something? Um, but then that would also work for that crazy fan theory, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. It, it, like you say, when you think about it, there's. I think if they came out with him being descended from the original Merlin, I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um. Any other fan theories you want to put out there? Honestly, Any no. Other? I came up with the question with that answer in mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, I'm just having a quick look. Uh, so that there is a crazy fan theory slash what ifs uh, Reddit post that I will link into the episode uh, when I put it up. Um, hmm. Definitely worth taking a look at. Um, but there's a couple of big ones um, that have been discussed that I like. Uh, I'd like to talk about. Um, so the first one is that um, I don't think this is a fan theory. I think this is basically confirmed that Billy and George's child would be a werewolf. I'd be interested in that. I guess they, because they had some sort of spell cast upon them by Terra West, didn't they? Yes. Um, I feel so... like we should have a solid answer for that. We only read the book like two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so I, I guess, yeah, the, the, I don't know about their child. Um, that's an interesting one. Um, I mean, is Georgia some... pregnant at the moment in the story at all? Or Yeah, so the last time we saw her, she was eight and a half months pregnant. Jesus Christ. Um, which I believe was in a short story called Aftermath, which I might be in briefcases. I've not read it because um, I think I've told you before, I've, I've got like all the short story stuff, but I decided to then read it as we do it on here. Yeah. But I can have a cheeky little nosy. I've seen a couple of uh, theories around Harry's mum, whether Harry's mum is alive or... Um, right, well, what uh, where, where Harry's mum is, if she's going to be the main villain of the series or something like that. Similar ones around Justin DeMorn. Yeah. Uh, whether he's uh, a series big bad or if he's just done and, and out of it. I, I'm kind of happy with him being out of it. Um, lots of theories about Mr. and about Mouse. Brilliant. I don't, I don't know that they need to have much more to them than than what they've got. I mean, Mouse is already pretty aw, uh, pretty awesome how he is, and yeah, I, I kind of like Mister just being a really big cat and not much else. Yeah, same. Um. Okay. Uh, someone's saying that they think the next Denarian that we'll see will have one of the Carpenters pick up uh, uh, have Daniel Carpenter, you know, like the the oldest son, yeah, pick up the coin to use it to get in the fight. That would be an interesting dynamic. It it would definitely hurt Michael on levels serious levels deeper than anything else. Yeah. I mean, that would be interesting anyway, because um, was, it, was it Battleground where um, uh, Molly goes to talk to him about her current job? Yeah. And he's like all accepting of it, being like, it doesn't mean you can get out of doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I guess like a, a, being a fairy queen is very different to being a, a a straight up denarian, like I don't know, it'd be really interesting. It would be more interesting to see if they end up just being, you know, a bit of a hired goon kind of character, or if they kind of end up in, in the way that Harry and Lash were, where it's they're kind of working half and yeah. half. Yeah, definitely. Um, a couple of theories around Harry's father. I don't really want him to be magical. I want him. To, I like the idea of him being a stage magician. Yeah, same. I just feel it works with the narrative. Yeah, I don't. That seems too much to me. I don't think it's necessary. Um, interesting uh, theory about uh, Rashid, the gatekeeper. Yeah. Uh, being Harry Dresden from the future. Or yeah, being... I think I can't. It might have been two years I... ago. Um, when I had the Super Dresden phase, I remember messaging you at one point, being like, "Is like, do we have any idea who the gatekeeper actually is?" Because just the way he seems to be the only one that trusts Harry and all that, I, I was kind of going along the lines of it being a version of Harry Dresden from the future, and you shot me down immediately, and I was like, "Fair enough, no worries." <laughs> I mean, there, there, it, it does seem strange, and a lot of the pushback on that theory is around like Rashid being heavily like Muslim or or like at least uh, Arabic. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think with what we know now, it's kind of easy to see why he'd be more trusting of Harry. I guess like he knows more about the whole uh, Starborn thing. I would assume. Yeah. But at the same time, he is still 
like we know that wizards can cast illusions and be different people and it, it it's possible uh, but yeah I, I i agree yeah i mean i think jim butcher should just write a story that confirms every fan theory <laughs> mr's the villain harry is the original merlin and he's the gatekeeper um you name it go <laughs> go nuts Marcone is Ebenezer's son. <laughs> Marcone is his real dad. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. God knows. And somehow Thomas is also Margaret Le Fay. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I would enjoy that, actually. Um, yeah, it's the, the, yeah, there is lots and lots of fan theories out there. Um Personally, I I like a lot of the ones that are around. Uh, I like the ones around Rashid, as, uh, the gatekeeper, because I feel that that there there is there is a, there is something there to pick at. I just don't think him him being Harry is necessarily the right the right thing to pick at. Yeah. Uh, that being said, one point that someone's made is that Harry talks about. Uh, how Rashid's scar on his eye is almost exactly like his own. So that's an interesting little tidbit. So, that is pretty interesting. Uh, but that can also... I was about to say that could also be a throwaway comment, but I don't think Jim really does those. Yeah. We'll see. As we get o- as we get over to the gatekeeper being more involved, we'll, we'll pick up on that one. Um, but I, I actually really like that. Uh, one of the carpenters picking up a denarian coin as a different way for the denarians to get at Michael. Yeah. Um, I can really see that. And the, the personality of, um, Oh God, I can't find his name now of the car of the carpenter's oldest son, Daniel Carpenter. There we go. Uh, uh, his personality, he does seem to be kind of angry and, um, like he he bumps he uh butts heads with like uh Billy and uh, Billy the werewolf and um even Murph in Ghost, Ghost Story. Story isn't it yeah yeah um cool all right so uh moving on from there uh there is a little bit on Jim Butcher's website uh, this week um. The uh, he has done a culinary diversion. So uh, as uh, Peace Talks has now made it into the final round of the Goodreads Choice Awards, uh, you can still vote in the final round. Uh, you have until November thirtieth to cast your ballot and see, uh, and hopefully put. Um, uh, I don't know which one he's put up for for the Goodreads Choice Award. Peace Talks put Peace Talks up. Uh, to to put Peace Talks into uh, as the finalist and, and ultimately the winner. Um, so go and check that out. Uh, back our man Jim. Um, but he has also shared um, from a woman called Catherine Barson Eastis uh, uh, of the Gluttonous Geek um, has done a range of different Dresden verse. Um, like meals uh, for you to, to try and to share. Uh, so there's Max Steak Sandwich, uh, Bob the Chocolate Skull, uh, the Tsar Lord's Thin Crust Supreme, uh, McAnally's Summer uh, Lemonade, uh, Kringle Cookies, Lashiel's Denarian Baklava, um, and the Wild Hunter's Pie. Um, definitely worth checking out. Um Really, really cool. Uh, bit of uh, really cool bit of Dresden content that you don't really normally get. Um, and they've also done a little uh, interview uh, with uh, I think it's Priscilla Spencer talking to uh, Catherine by the looks of it. Fair enough. So that's that's awesome. Uh, and think there is a picture of Priscilla Spencer at an Aztec temple 
possibly Chichen Itza, question mark, which is very awesome, uh, wearing a, a Dresden pentacle. So worth checking that out if, you, if you're a Dresden fan and that, that'll uh, put a smile on your face. Um, yeah, so shall we head over to the book club, Rob? Yeah, let's do it. We've got three more chapters to go, I think. Yeah, let's smash this. Okay, so uh, Dresden Files Book Club. I, I'm sure most of you already know this by now, but if you've decided to start with this episode and you're brand new to it, the Dresden Files Book Club is something that we do every week. Uh, we are slowly making our way through the Dresden Files series, uh, taking on everything from uh, the novels to the tie-in uh, books and eventually the tie-in comics. Uh, they're kind of... I'm not sure that we've missed any yet, but that's one we need to keep an eye on. Oh, um, yeah, I, I checked the other day. I think we're okay until... Ugh, between books four and five or five and six, I can't remember. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, Dresden Files Book Club is where we go through all that awesome content that Jim Butcher pumps out on a regular basis. Uh, and we're following it through chronologically breaking it down uh, with our literary hats on, uh, as well as our nerdy, geeky, loving hats, uh, uh, talking about all of the references, and piecing together all the kind of running through lines that are now present um, once we've read the series up to date and now going back to the earlier books. Um, Every episode we start with last time on Dresden Files and then we go into um, this time on Dresden Files uh, with the, the new stuff. So there we go. That is the thing. That is the book club. Uh, so, last time on Grave Peril. Uh, it was an absolutely incredible chapter uh, as we went from some some highs to some lows and then back up a little to some highs. Um, so... Uh, Michael uh, Thomas showered Harry in aluminum nails, distracting uh, Leah the Lenonchi, the fairy um, high lady. She's not a queen, but she's kind of high up there. Um, allowing Harry to eat something, his contingency plan. Uh, Harry and Thomas baited Leah into attacking Dresden, and, uh, to, uh, into attacking Dresden um, in order to try and take him and slave him as a dog of uh, winter. Uh, Leah is about uh, is about to take Harry and, and transform into a dog when she realises that Harry has consumed a poisonous mushroom giving him two minutes before he starts dying. Harry uh, Michael reveals he has St. Mary's thistle which is used to cure poison. Leah realises she can't accept gifts and that she must bargain with Michael for Harry's life. Harry's deal is that Leah leaves him be for one year and a day in exchange for the cure. Leah, failing to understand why Harry is willing to sacrifice himself all this death to save those who need him, accepts the bargain. Uh, she th thinks he's insane, uh, but goes for it anyway. Uh, after she accepts the bargain, she explains that she won't claim him, but that does not mean that the other entities that owe her in fairy can't claim him for her. Thomas and Michael agree to hold the line and hold off the fay until Harry manages to escape the Never Never. Harry makes it into Bianca's mansion directly into a circle of red court vampires. Harry is then beaten and captured as the vampires start feeding upon him. Chapter 34. Harry dreams of his father, reassuring him that he's okay until he wakes up naked and in pain, shrouded in darkness. We go into this cellar scene where apparently everything is shrouded in darkness and one thing after another kind of appears out of the darkness. Uh, we see Justine, who is um, no longer her kind collected self uh, and instead is actually very mentally unstable and lashes out at Harry. Uh, we then see Harry, uh, we then see uh, Rachel, a woman that previously died at Bianca's. Um, her ghost is bound to that cellar um, to get a kick out of the vengeance uh, further uh, God, sorry these are my, I'm just trying to follow the notes also um, cool so uh, we see Rachel who died previously 
Uh, Bianca has kept her ghost binded here to get a kick out of the vengeance, further blaming Dresden for her death. So Harry's being tormented by uh, this ghost of Rachel, who Bianca killed in Stormfront. Uh, Kravos then communicates with Dresden through Justine. He reveals that Dresden's blood is tainted and made the Reds ill. Kravos gave the call about Agatha Hagathorn as well at the start of the book. Uh, Justine takes back control, weeping that she'll never see Thomas again, while Dresden reassures her, wondering if he'll, if him, uh, wondering himself if Thomas and Michael are even alive. Something stirs in the shadows. Justine urges him not to go, that he won't like what he'll see. Dresden uncovers Susan, hot with a fever, sensitive to light, her eyes all black. Susan has begun the change into a red court vampire. Dun dun dun! Moving on to chapter 35. Dresden's arm brushing at Susan's mouth. She freezes, then moves to him again. Susan uh, licks the blood-soaked towel that Dresden has used to clean himself up. Justine explains that her transformation isn't complete until she feeds and uh, until she kills and feeds. Justine also suggests that Harry kills her. Harry restores Susan's memories of him after remembering their soul gaze. His declaration of love brings her back. Leah wouldn't be able to remove the memories, only cover them up with a spell. Susan attempts trying to feed on Harry while he is performing the ritual to re restore the memories. In short, Susan apologised to Harry. She tried to fight the vampires off, but she can't. Uh, but she can still feel that never-ending hunger. Harry formulates a plan to fall asleep and awake Kravos in his dreams. In chapter 26... Kravos awaits Harry as he slips into his dream, and the battle begins. Kravos claims he's going to enjoy torturing Harry until Bianca arrives. He begins to beat down Harry. We again meet a form of Harry's subconscious that saves him from Kravos. The Harry copy reveals, uh, is revealed to be Harry's ghost, revealing that Harry died in the real world for one minute before resuscitating Susan. Before being resuscitated by Susan. The two Harrys bring the pain to Kravos. Harry tears into Kravos, tearing him to pieces and consuming his power, regaining his stolen magic and stealing what was left of Kravos' own power, wild and furious. Harry awakes, high off the power, he tells Susan and Justine he's ready and that they are leaving. As he goes to leave the, the cellar, however, Kyle and Kelly Hamilton appear, uh, warped and twisted by the explosion. They pin Dresden to the wall, planning to finish him off once and for all. And that is where we pick it up this week. Rob, do you want to give this week's chapters? Yeah, so what a cliffhanger, for one. I know, right? <laughs> um, and then we pull ourselves up the cliff, or whatever you do when you're hanging from the cliff, I don't know. Um, chapter 37. Harry offers to, like, you know, he's, he's still pinned to the wall, but he still offers Kyle, you know, a bit of mercy. Walk away while you can, buddy, or you'll be singed. Singed hairs everywhere. Um, at this point, both vampires are kind of like, oh yes, let's kill him now, let's feed upon his flesh. And then Susan kind of gets the drop on Kelly from behind, like, oh man, it, it's it's cool, it's so cool. Like, Harry just flings Kyle, like, into a wall with, I can't remember, Fizare? Is that the one? Yeah, one? I think so, or Ventus Servitas. Yeah, that's the one, my bad. Um, yeah, either way, flings Kyle straight into the wall, and then, like, he's he's fighting off Kelly, and Susan just, right, rocks up behind her, like, grabs <laughs> her by the shoulder, and just Clark Kent, Smallville-style, just launches her into the wall as well, like, straight into Kyle. So, uh, they take a bit of damage from that, roll it up, as, uh, as you say. Um, and Harry uses Kravis's power here, and it's really, I mean... I don't know how to describe it. It's just really badass, for lack of a better word or expression. Um, he launches like a massive blast of energy at them, and it it, co it cocoons the two vampires in like this scarlet ball, engulfing them completely in flame until there is nothing left. What a cool. satisfying death, you know? Yeah. Especially for them, dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, once they've dealt with that, Harry, Susan, and Justine leave the cellar dungeon area. Wherever they are, they leave it. Um, they, they're, they're, like, running through the, uh, basement, and they're noticing, like, 
the area is just littered with corpses and clothes of like the other guests that were at the party and so on. Um, and they come across a handy little room that's holding Harry's tools, his blasting rod, shield, bracelet, staff, and of course, Bob the Skull. Uh, Bob also reveals, by the way, that the reason for this, I mean, it, it kind of falls into the bag of my coincidences and all that kind of thing. Like, oh, that's that's lucky, isn't it? But they they justify it really well in that um, Bianca was afraid that destroying the weapons would cause, you know, like the, the weapons themselves are protected by magic and all that kind of stuff. So any attempt to kind of pick them up, wield them themselves would prevent, you know, cause them to explode or whatever, which is fair enough. I'd, I'd be scared to touch that. I mean, I guess I would. I probably wouldn't hesitate. Um there's a great bit where, uh, yeah, because Bob's like, I don't know where they got that idea from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's such a good Bob moment. But um, at this point, Justine points out that Susan is missing, and Bob deduces that Bianca has been practicing magic, um, learning it from Mavra, the Black Court vampiress. Um and that Bianca has been using magic to kind of separate the team, as it were. Uh, so Susan is not acting of her own accord. She mm-hmm. just thinks that she is. Um, in any case, the team, you know, Harry gathers all this stuff. Interesting to point out, he's wearing underpants at this point with, like, uh, yellow ducks on them, if I remember right. Yes, uh, I think that, that is correct. Yeah. Um, they enter the Great Hall, and Bianca is waiting at the centre, surrounded by red court vampires, and like kneeling down in front of her is Susan, who is a hostage. Um, I mean, it's it's good to have a plan. Bianca, I mean, that's you got to give Bianca some credit. It feels like she went into this like well planned. Like she she drew it up like stick figures, like shapes and everything, um, little arrows. Man. Mm-hmm. Um Bianca orders her men to open fire at Harry, and that's you know, the end of that chapter. Chapter thirty eight. In just the nick of time, Harry raises his shield, which causes all the bullets to ricochet all over the place. Um and something interesting which I feel should happen a lot more often is that Harry's magic causes some interference with a lot of the automatic weapons as well. So the weapons malfunction, bullets are being sprayed everywhere. Um, and yeah, uh, and you get this kind of like badass moment where Bianca's like, oh, if, if you harm me, you know, I'll, I'll rip Susan's head off. And Harry's like, she's my girlfriend. I'm going to save her. So he launches a massive like fire blast straight at Bianca, who, who, who like meets it with a smile, I guess. She like just raises her hand and absorbs it with her own magic. And mm-hmm. It's very interesting that Harry's observation of this is that was, you know, that's not just like like Leonard Kravos or the um, Shadow Man in the first book. They're not just dicking around with magic here. That was magic being used on the same level as the higher members of the White Council. Um, Bianca confirms at this point, oh, my instructor is Mavra. She taught me well. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a little bit of a calm here as another character enters the ring and I don't know whether to refer to him as a um like major character or not but he he's a character that occurs again in a few books time and it's Antonio Banderas um <laughs> <laughs> at least that's how I imagine him like how he is if if anyone's seen interview of the vampire um I think it's a good film but a terrible adaptation but um Antonio Banderas plays a vampire in that I I've suddenly forgotten the vampire's name, but his how he dresses and how he acts and that is pretty much how I imagine this character, Don Paolo Ortega, mm-hmm. who is present at this event on behalf of the Red King, who is, you know, name speaks for itself, the Red King, Red Court Vampires, blah, blah, blah. Um, in any case, Ortega like, enters the room. Uh, Antonio Banderas plays Armand. That was it. Thank you. Um, yeah, in any case, Ortega enters the room, he greets Dresden, and I really like this exchange, because he's all, like, 
serious and everything. And he's like, I, I am Don Paolo Ortega. And just Harry's like, just stood there, like, blasting rod, wizard staff, just stood there in his underwear, just like, good for you. I'm Harry Dresden. <laughs> it just has this moment where, like, it describes Ortega looks down at his underwear, then back into, then back at Harry. And I know it, it, it's a, it's probably why I didn't remember Ortega when he popped back up in a later book. But um, yeah, he states that uh, Bianca as Baroness hasn't broken any rules of the Accords or of hospitality, whereas Harry's actions of self-defense against Kyle Hamilton and Kelly Hamilton have broken the rules and would mean war between the Red Court and the White Council. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry, you know, catches on to this and is like, son of a bitch, I've been duped yet again. Um, Bianca presents Harry with an offer, allowing Harry to leave with Justine as and his equipment uh, and receiving forgiveness. But Susan must stay. And I think the reasoning behind that is she arrived there with that fake invitation and they can't allow that to stand, which all things considered, fair enough. I mean, it's, it's such bullshit though. Cause she, she, she knows she fully knows he's not going to go for that. Yeah. I mean, I think if you know Harry Dresden, you know, he's not going to go for it. And yeah, that's pretty much how it goes down. Harry demands Bianca, let's go of Susan claiming that he loves her. And for one soul, one life, there is nothing worth fighting a war for. And Bianca like does a little painful eye twitch of this is getting annoying and demands the vampire kill the vampires kill Harry. Uh massive like battle starts going on and Harry's like setting vampires alight left and right, which is probably the best thing to do. And he's he's very much outnumbered here. So there's a bit of a break where he kind of surrounds himself in a magic circle which blocks everything out. The power of circles saves us again. Um, and he kind of begins performing a bit of a ritual type thing. Um, contacting, like, oh, contact is probably the wrong word, reaching out to the dead, all of the victims of the Red Court that live have been murdered in this mansion. Uh, Rachel and loads of others have died there. And he's reaching out to each one of them, touching them one by one, giving them power. And the dead rise up and join the fight as the mansion starts to shake. Um, The ghosts or shades, whichever one you want to call them, they begin destroying the place. They are grabbing vampires and dragging them into the flames, pulling them down beneath the mansion. Um, At this point, Bianca's like, holy shit, that's nasty. Um... She she grabs Susan and begins to drag her towards the door, but she is like a ghost just kind of rock rocks up and like grabs her by the leg and starts dragging her and she's like oh shit on it um <laughs> and, she, and she's like oh I'm not having I'm not having any of this and she goes to kill Susan as she's about to deliver that blow Rachel's ghost appears and stops her distracting her long enough for Dresden's spell to slam straight into Bianca leaving her fate to the ghosts that then drag her into the fire, screaming. Um, Harry, Susan and Justine, they're all like, well, our job here is done, let's leave now. And they peg it out of this house, mansion, sorry, um, before it collapses. And they get, they get a bit of distance away and they're just stood there in an alley just watching the place burn. And then it kind of collapses into itself into a hole of flame. And that is the end of Bianca. So don't mess with the wizards or you're going to get burnt. (laughs) And then we roll in to the final chapter of the book, chapter 39. At the hospital, Harry wishes, you know, he was dead because unfortunately for him, the hospital is a bit overrun at the moment and therefore he is made to share a room with Charity who, from the moment he wakes up, gives him such an earache, which is fair enough. But there is some good news. The baby has escaped danger. Michael reveals that they settled on naming the baby Harry, which is very cute. I don't like the name Harry, personally. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, But each to their own. I think they deduced or assumed that it was tied to um, 
Leonard Kravos. Like when he took a bite out of like Dresden's soul and all that, he did the same thing, but it obviously affected the baby, or he just took a bite out of the baby's soul. Or... Eh, either way, problem solved. Baby's born. Baby's healthy. Baby's named Harry. Um, yeah, and then we have a little bit of time after that where Father Forthill and Michael protect Harry for a few days just in case there's any repercussions from the whole Red Court fiasco, which probably for the best. Um, in this time, Michael informs Harry that he and Thomas left the Never Never not that long after Harry like left. Um, it, it seems that once Harry kind of like buggered off, the Winter of the Fairies were just kind of like, well... We're not interested in you guys. <laughs> yeah, we we, don't, we weren't sent after you. We were sent after the other dude. Um, and Harry, not Harry, Thomas, sorry, manages to let them out through an exit via a strip club. Which, you know, I guess, I guess that's better than a room full of red court vampires. Let's put it that way. I just love the way that Mike uh, Michael's like he let us out. Through a house of sin! Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that. His reaction is just gorgeous. Oh my god. Um, and then we have a... I mean, it's, it's... I think this is the point where the last chapter of each book is kind of a little bit of a summary of certain events afterwards. And here we have Murphy and Harry attending Kravis's funeral. She laments not being able to help out in this case. Um... Which is, you know, fair enough, but at the same time, her the way her body language is here, the way she speaks, it's it's trying to show that emotional damage uh, from the attack she had from the nightmare earlier in the book, which I think is done pretty well, and I think that kind of bleeds over into the next book as well, where she still has a bit of that trauma. Um, then we catch up with Lydia, who is leaving town. Um, thanks, Dresden. And, you know, leaves a thank you note, which is nice. Thomas also leaves a thank you note. And I can't remember what it was, but probably just... It's like, he, doesn't he send Justine, like, wrapped in a bow? I think so, yeah. And then Harry's like, I took the note and let Justine leave. Like, that's, yeah. that's not for me or something <laughs> like that. Um, I don't know if it's worth mentioning. Lydia used a fake name as well. I, I can't remember her real name. Uh, it's probably not yeah. important. But yeah, um, and then we get another little scene with Harry and Susan. Um, she's struggling with the whole being thrust into the supernatural world, and Harry's attempt to kind of bridge the gap, I guess, is to propose to her. Um, and she turns him down, telling Harry, you know, don't contact me. Don't just don't contact me. Uh, when I need you, I'll come to you. Which I think is a bit bloody harsh, but yeah. whatever. Um, oh, it's also mentioned um, in this scene as well. I think Harry mentions, you know, he won't rest until he finds a cure. Um, and then we get another little bit of flash forward to Bob and Harry researching the vampire, uh, Red Court vampire strain, and researching, you know, can they create a cure? And Bob lets Harry know that he's received a note from the White Council. And they are coming to town to obviously find out what the fuck happened because, you know, they they sent Harry there as a representative, and the next thing I know, they're at war with the Red Court. I'd be yeah. pissed. Um, and then this is interrupted by a knock at the door from Murphy and Michael. Harry explains to them that vampires and wizards are now after him, updates them on the Susan situation, and that he received a pass uh, postcode postcode a postcard from her with three words and the novel ends with just harry saying i'll let you guess which three and there we have it gray pearl wrapped up in a neat little bow for you yeah um my god we did it rob we did it <laughs> we've done three books and two Woo! short stories um so, first thing I will say uh, on my recap, um, probably one of the weaker recaps I've done, go back to last episode and hear us do the more in-depth coverage of those last couple of chapters, because um, that is way better than my, my recap. I've just come back from work and 
my brain is jelly. Uh, so, um, apologies, listeners, uh, for forcing you to listen to my waffle. Um, yeah, so, finale of Grave Peril, absolutely incredible. Um, that final set piece of Dresden in Bianca's mansion commanding the forces of the dead like a, a necromancer, ectomancer, whatever you want to say. I mean, he's not really commanding even. He's just opening the door and letting them go to work, yeah. really. Um, but, oh, man, what an incredible scene. Uh, just when you think he's he's out, the guy pulls himself right back in. Um, whew. How did you find it, Rob? Oh, man, I think... I think I enjoyed it more this time round. I mean, it helps that I forgot a lot of like chunks of this book, but man, that that moment where he's like, um, you know, like they've got uh, Susan hostage, everything's going like to shit, and he's basically being told that any further hostility would result in a war, and just that line where he's like, "For one soul, one life." You know there is there is nothing worth fighting a war for, and just thinks fuck it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel at this point in the series as well. If you had any way of summing up the character of Harry Dresden, that's probably it. Yeah, crazy reckless, but the right thing to do ultimately. Yeah. Um, and. As we will talk about in the next couple of books as well, um, I absolutely love that there are repercussions for what Dresden does. Um, it's not all great. Like, yes, his, he achieved his top goal, which was to rescue Susan and uh, Justine, and everyone of his inner circle got out alive. But people got hurt. Um, Michael and uh, the Carpenters almost lost a child. Mm. Um, like Harry's relationship with Susan appears to be pretty damaged. Um, and the White Council are nervous, rightfully so, about a war breaking out. Uh, or being in the very early stages of breaking out. I mean, we we basically see the the shooting of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, the Archduke of Austria-Hungary. It's like it's like the very first incident that then has all the the knock-on domino effects. Um, it's it's crazy, man. It's it's real crazy. Uh, and and I love that about the series. It it doesn't just tie it up in a bow and say, yeah, Dresden Dresden did the thing, and the the bad guys just had to suck it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I really like that. It feels very real and feels very alive. I mean, something um, I didn't expect at the like when I first read this. I think you mentioned to me that like, you know, the next few books are like a vampire war, basically. And mm-hmm. I didn't realise that next few books meant the next nine books. <laughs> <laughs> but something to draw attention to that. I mean, if you've not read, I mean, whether you've read it or not, it it's more of a background thing. Like because it's like a world war between these two factions. It's in. I, I found it. I was expecting it to be like nine books or so, or however long of just Harry the Red Court being the main villains of each book, but I was quite relieved that wasn't the case. I, I think that that's because because the Dresden Files plays with these like noir detective tropes. I mean, mm. the typical noir detective is in like a 1920s-ish sesh, uh, like, um, era. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, if you're if you're in the 1920s, wartime is kind of around the corner, and I, and I feel like there are quite a few noir series that deal with like or noir stories that deal with like the wars in the background and 
America's kind of this place where Germans and English people can both kind of go and and third parties kind of operate secretly um, to do stuff that will then affect massive battles in Europe. Mm. Um, and we really get that here. We get this like feeling that what happens in Chicago has these big effects because it's kind of off the off the board a bit because mostly because the vampires are shit scared of Harry now uh, after this kind of rightly so yeah um, but yeah it's uh, I I think it, it, it something to the series' credit is that it goes to that place instead yeah. of staying stale um, I, I think that's the whole war itself was handled really well as as well. Like you say, not going stale. Like the next couple of books, I think there's I don't think there's any red court at all in the next book. It's you get like the introduction of the White Council and the war being mentioned uh, and all that kind of thing. But I I don't think we have any red court until Ortega pops up again. I can't remember if it's book five or six, but yeah. I think I think book five. Because if I remember right, that's when Kincaid and the and Ivy get involved. Yes, that sounds right. There's the duel and and everything. Yeah. Um. Which it, it's crazy because I and I know we keep saying it. These books had all blurred together. The, these early Dresden books, and I was, I would have sworn blind that that the duel was in this book. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But no, and I, I now know it isn't, and and I know exactly when it is as well. <clears throat> um, but yeah, that's it's funny. Um, so yeah, uh, I think we've got a couple of things we wanted to touch upon. Um, uh, so what do we want to touch upon? We want to touch upon. Um, Harry's new aura. Yeah, um, I didn't mention it actually in the uh, chapter breakdown, but when when he's reunited with Bob, Bob points out like there's there's something different about you, referring to uh, the power he stole from Kravos. Ah, yeah, that's that's a really interesting one because this is really the only time we see Dresden like like gain power externally from like like eat power from something. I mean there's there's beings that he makes deals with and, and there's beings that even like kind of share his body for a while and give power over to him. But he never really like takes like he does with Kravos. Um and I I feel like a lot is made out of Harry being very powerful. Um, but I, I've always wondered if he's only ever really taken power from like Kravos, surely there's, uh, other wizards out there that have taken power from like a bunch of people oh, and definitely. powerful, or is it that Harry is like the only one to have ever done it? And that's part of why he's so powerful. Hmm. What are your thoughts? I have many thoughts. Um, shit, I don't know how to word it. Uh, I know there's surely got to be like um, something in the law of the White Council, like the laws of magic and stuff that state don't do that shit. Mm. Um, but then it's such a weird one because I feel if that were the case, we'd know about it for one. And also, the White Council, no, like no matter what you do, where you do it, they just seem to know you've broken the rules. Yeah. So I feel, I mean, maybe it has drawn a little bit of attention to in the next book, I can't remember. But it feels like something that, even, even though it was a kind of case of self-defense where he was reclaiming what was stolen from him, it feels like something that the Council, especially Morgan, would have been like, about. I, I agree. Um, even if it's just from like the point of view of it, it could so easily be a motive to kill someone. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's very strange. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm interested to see what the fans think about that one um, because it's yeah, just um, I'm really interested to see if the fans think it's a it's a commonplace thing for a wizard to take from another wizard uh, their power source, or if if it isn't commonplace, then why is Harry considered to be so powerful? Is it is it something else? Is it the whole Starborn thing uh, yeah. that we get in later books? I, I I never got the feeling that the Starborn thing made that big of a deal when it came to power levels. No, but even then, even now it doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. I guess I think oh, I'm trying to. Rem- I think my memory of it is that it means that you can't be affected by outsiders or some shit like that yeah that, that's kind of what i got um Although, it's never, I, sorry go kind ahead. of yeah I've, I've just remembered this uh, we're introduced to a new character in the next book who it surprises me that she's not a bigger character in any of the other books come to think of it um and i, I, I won't it's something i'll bring up again next week or the week after whenever she pops up but my remem- my memory of her is that she's she's can't even friggin' speak. She shares the same birthday as Harry, which would make her a starborn as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to work out who you're who you're talking about now. Um Is is this Elaine? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I mean I might I might be wrong, but to my memory I'm sure she had the same birthday. I just so happened to be on the Dresden Files uh, wiki. That's right now. Um, I mean, that would also make sense as to why Justin Demorn took in both of them. Yeah, personal explanation. Can't see where it says her birthday. Hmm. We'll have to see if it comes up as we go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I imagine that a fan who's listening will probably tell us. But, I mean, at the moment, I can't recall anything that would say that is the case. Yeah, certainly. Um, that would be interesting. Uh, I know I'm saying that a lot, but um, it... it the the great thing about Jim's stuff is that there are all these little things that you can discover and pick out and um if it turns out that more starborns are needed, uh Elaine might be someone worth recruiting to Harry's side sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um cool. So we talked about the the uprising of the ghosts. Great great way to kind of turn everything around on the vampires. Um, really, really nice. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, change to Harry's aura. Um, so I guess really, and we talked about the aftermath as well. Um, is there anything that you wanted to, to bring out here apart from those, Rob? Um, not that I could think of. Annoyingly, when I wrote the notes, I, I couldn't really think, because it wraps up everything pretty well, I feel. And mm. anything that I want to bring up is kind of, oh, you know, the, the White Council will come into town and etc. Uh, the consequences of this book, which we'll then see going forward into Summer Night anyway. So, yeah, I think anything that I want to talk about can wait until we've started the next book. Yeah, um, I I would agree. Um, there's there's a couple of nice. Um, moments in the wrap-up that that we didn't pick out uh just about like we learn about lydia um why she left uh for church uh she was she was worried that she was going to fall asleep and then that kravos would inhabit her and that she'd murder uh father fort hill or someone um so she went to get some like uppers um 
which I thought that w- that was a nice bit of like kind of covering a covering smoothing over a bit in the plot. Yeah. Um, we've kind of talked about it, uh, but I liked the Murphy bit of the of the wrap up where um, we see Murphy's state of mind going into the next book, which explains some of what she does in the next book. She's a little bit more reckless there, but we'll talk about that more as we get to it. Um, yeah, I think I think that's about it. Um, so, shall we? Uh, shall we wrap up, Rob? Yeah, we may as well. Um, yeah, fuck it. Um, yeah, thank you for listening along with us and reading through Grave Peril. It's been a blast. Um, next episode onwards, we'll be covering and reading through. The Summer Nights, book four in the Dresden Files. And I don't know, I'm excited for that because I I enjoyed it at the time, but it's one of those books where I, I think I've explained it before, either in here or just in private to you, where my memory of it is a lot better than my initial read of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I... Uh... There are certainly scenes I remember very well here. Yeah. Um, that being said, I am sure that I will. I'll start saying things that I believe are fact, and then be proven wrong almost immediately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's um, so yeah, next week we'll be doing chapters one to four of Summer Night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and as always, thank you all for the support. We've had three thousand downloads. We've just crossed that threshold. So, thank Ooh. you all for the support, or thank you that one fan that just keeps listening to us on repeat. Either oh. way, it's appreciated. So, my mum, just an absolute trooper. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. Um, as always, share, follow, subscribe the episode. We're on Spotify, that other one, iTunes, Podbean. Uh, follow the social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter. It's been, we're still trying to post regularly, but it's with Pat starting a new job, me juggling a master's degree at the moment, um, and you know the whole lockdown situation, time is a bit of a weird thing. It- it's getting away from from both of us um, at times. So yeah, like I, I mean, times. I'm not on top of it as I should be, but hey, I'm still posting. So and I'll still reply if you want to shoot us a message or anything. Um, yeah, if, so, if you comment or hit us up at all, uh, we've been really. We have it, one thing I can say is that we are really on it when it comes to people commenting. Uh, and messaging mostly because we've got a million alerts set up. So as soon as as soon as you comment, our phones, laptops, loved ones, everyone just starts shouting at us until we reply to you, um, which is good because then that means that shit gets done. Yeah. Um, so if you want to torment us, definitely. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as, as always, uh, share, follow, subscribe, share with your mum, your dad your friends, your dog, anyone who will listen. I hear we um, are quite big with the canine audience. So. Yeah, I mean, it's true. My my dog has... I say that we do it all the time, but we don't. We've, we've threatened to put the podcast on for him when I'm out, just so he hears the sound of my voice and doesn't pee on the floor. Um, <laughs> it doesn't work. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, in any case, we will see you next week. Crack open a can of Coke. Enjoy the lockdown. If you're in the States, enjoy the Biden win, I guess. Um, If that's not your thing, sorry. Um, Yeah, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lund. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye.